that's when, you know, our encouragement to, you know, you know, potential clients or just anyone in, the, in these industries you work in is just to, just to call timeout and to take a pause. You know, you've crossed a threshold from, you know, a certain environment to another and your staffing model hasn't kept up. And so what we suggest then is acknowledging first <laughs> something has changed. <laughs> you know, the, the existing model won't work and it's not your fault. It, it, it's fine. Um, you know, in the case of current, um, you know, environments uh, when on average 10% of your workforce is sick at some time given COVID, this is extraordinary. And the encouragement we give is just to, you know, have your staffing model reflect that. And practically what that means, you know, as you know, Lucy, you've suggested is building an internal, you know, flexible bank of staff who are expecting, who are desiring, um, and who are structurally set up, you know, with appropriate contracts and such to pick up these last minute shifts. Welcome to the Shifts Happen podcast. We're your co-hosts, Lucy Whittington and Scott Irwin from High Hand, having conversations about workforce planning and managing flexible teams to see how shifts happen in different circumstances. For us, dynamic staffing is key to having a flexible, engaged, and productive workforce. And we invite you to join us as we talk to people-powered business owners, those working in large organizations, along with commentators and consultants about the future of work and workforce planning. In this first episode of the Shifts Happen podcast, I interview Scott about the concept of dynamic staffing. Diving into his workforce planning experience, he talks us through how baseball and borough are perfect examples of static and dynamic staffing. We dive into the questions to ask, calculations you can make, and red flags to take notice of as an organisation when it comes to staffing. Shifts Happen is both the name of this podcast and a suggestion about how to think about flexible workforces. Here's where we get under the skin of what that means to us. Hi, and welcome to the Shifts That Happen podcast. Uh, today, we are introducing our philosophy on our take on shift work, uh, static versus dynamic staffing, and our philosophy around why we think there needs to be a move from static to dynamic. So this is really going to dive in to our take on shift work, the future of work, and all manner of things to do with that. So I'm Lucy Whittington, and I'm co-host of the podcast, uh, along with Scott Irwin, who I'm actually going to pretty much interview today, I think. Uh, we're going to interview Scott because he is the person with the workforce background, the knowledge, uh, the CEO and founder of Higher Hand, uh, which was created to solve the problem of dynamic staffing. So it makes perfect sense for us to set out our stall, uh, if it were, to explain what we mean by these terms. They're terms that we use ourselves a lot, but we don't want to be uh, one of those businesses that falls for its own jargon without explaining it or expects everyone else to understand what we're talking about. So we do love having conversations about workforce planning, how to manage staffing, especially in terms of shift work. So that's why we have created our own language around it. But we would never presume that everyone else understands what we're talking about without explaining it. So, hi, Scott. Hi, Lucy. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, you are an expert today, uh, which you are every day, to be fair. But uh, today you're the expert um, that we're going to talk to to explain what we're talking about when we talk about static staffing and dynamic staffing. That's 
that's our real kind of founding principle of our philosophy of the problem we're trying to solve. And it's the language we've introduced to talk about it. I mean, we hope it's pretty self-explanatory, but just so that we really get it, can you tell us what we mean by static staffing and dynamic staffing? I love it, Lucy. As a recovering academic, I could spend spend hours on, on definitions. This is really where the nuance comes in. Um, but I appreciate our attempt is to entertain, not put our, our listeners to sleep. So I'll try to also uh, be a bit pithy as well. So we use the term static and dynamic staffing, and I think most people will have a sense of what these, these words mean. But in the context of shift work, yeah, static staffing is effectively the same staff filling the same shift patterns, you know, each day or week. Whereas dynamic staffing is different staff, quite often, filling a different pattern of shifts on the same day or week, with oftentimes those patterns changing on short notice. Now, now one way to get your head around this may be an example, and, and uh, apologies, I, I'm an American, so I, I sometimes revert not just to sports metaphors, but to American sports metaphors. And uh, as I grew up, there was a very famous baseball player named Cal Ripken, and, and he is the, the king of the static shift. Because for 17 straight years, he played the same position for the Baltimore Orioles, which was between shortstop, and never missed a game. And so in some ways, the, the schedule of the baseball team was we need a, a second baseman. And Cal Ropkin filled that role every game for 17 straight years. This is static staffing um, to the extreme, and he's in the Hall of Fame for it. And we applaud him uh, for his diligence to this day. Now. If that's one end of the spectrum, let me come a little closer to home here in London for the other with the notion of dynamic staffing. And in some ways, the most dynamic daily staffing, at least before COVID, happened in our favorite location of Borough Market, where just think about that for a moment if you've been there. The difference in terms of trading volume or footfall between a sunny day versus a cloudy day is up to a factor of 20. That means that your favorite stall, maybe it was that Brindisa chorizo, would spell 20 times the amount of sausages on a sunny day that it would on a cloudy day. And so effectively, the traders of Borough Market, you know, even before, you know, in some ways, really the, the mobile app technology had basically cultivated relationships with a, a local art school and trained many of these, these hungry shall we say, in many more ways than one, students on the workings of their food stall. So when in the morning it was expected to see the sun shining, they could quickly call a number of these students to come in and you know, man and woman the stalls to you know, basically allow them to serve more customers more quickly. So what that means is that on a cloudy day, you would see you know, maybe one team member twiddling their thumbs, you know, waiting for the, the odd customer to walk through, or on one of those busy fantastic, vibrant London days. You would see up to 10 to 15 staff members, you know, really pumping at high intensity to deliver some great food to the hungry masses of, of London. This is in some ways the, you know, really the extreme example of dynamic staffing where your, you know, levels change by a matter of, you know, 10x on a daily basis, you know, given something like the weather. So, and that's you know, a, some, just a key point to interrupt there. I think that's really interesting that it's based on an unpredictable factor. So, well, you know, obviously weather forecasters would argue that they can predict the weather, but you know, we live in Britain and we know that's not true. Um, so uh, that's really important as well because, you know, dynamic staffing is often in response to things that are unpredictable. 
um, you know, like in that case, demand, but the demand being created by weather and that in itself being unpredictable. So I think that's uh, worth not glossing over. And that's, you know, often, you know, your, your baseball player knew when the games were, they knew the schedule for the season, they knew, you know, where they needed to be so that they could do static staffing for that because it was quite predictable that that game was happening at that time, you know, in that stadium when it needed to. Um, and I think that's another, you know, important element to bring in that, that with dynamic staffing, you know, it's, it's often in response to demand, isn't it? But um, but even the element of that demand can't be predicted in some cases. So, so you know, you're, you're, you're spot on. And, and, you know, there are really two drivers of, of, if you will, the dynamic, you know, you know, environment. You know, one, like you say, is unexpected demand, which, you know, can be high, you know, or, you know, unfortunately for a lot of businesses, you know, in lockdown, you know, across the world can be quite low. Equally, you know, it is, you know, and it's also a very COVID, um, you know, salient point, you know, last minute drops or last minute absences, you know, from a, a workforce. And again, you know, in, in, in the time of COVID where, you know, whether it be an individual having to self-isolate or, you know, in some ways a school closing requiring all parents to then have to you know, make other arrangements, you know, you're seeing just in a significant amount of last minute drops that then creates, you know, in some ways a last minute, you know, need for staff as well. But you're absolutely right. The key, um, the key word is unexpected. And, and so in some ways, the question that, you know, you know, a company needs to ask or an organization needs to ask, you know, is, is the unexpected to use tech jargon, you know, a, a bug or a feature, you know, <laughs> of your, of your, your staffing model. And if it is a feature, you're far better off embracing it than, than continuing to try to deny that is the case. So, so yeah, don't fight, don't fight what, what's happening naturally. If there is always going to be unexpected demand or unpredictable demand, then plan for that. So plan for the unexpected as opposed to try and, you know, try and beat it into shape and, and give it, you know, put it in a box and try and make it work. I think that's that's really key as well. I think a lot of us, um, you know, go, oh, well, let's just put the same people on. And we know we'll be, you know, have people twiddling their thumbs some days. And we know on other days everyone will be flat out and all falling over, but it'll even out. That just doesn't seem very sensible when it comes to staffing. It's just, you know, because you're, you're never <laughs> you're never staffing correctly. Well, you might occasionally hit the right level of staffing, but you're pretty much planning to always have the wrong amount of staff. No, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, the rule of thumb that we use is that if, you know, over, you know, 5% of your, your shifts are kind of, you know, one out of 20 are being, you know, unexpectedly changed, either, you know, shifts being added or subtracted at the last minute or people within those shifts, you know, dropping out. You're starting to merge, you know, into more of a, a dynamic, you know, environment. And if, if it's less than that, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, more like, you know, Cal Ripken and the Baltimore Orioles than, than, than anyone, um, you know, could imagine, then the model you should continue to kind of use is a, a full-time model where you have, you know, a, a, you know, a core of dedicated, you know, recurrent staff. And when, in those odd occasions when, when you maybe need an extra pair of hands or, you know, someone gets sick, you know, this is what temp agencies were built for, you know, a fantastic, you know, industry that, you know, in a pinch can come in and support, you know, you know, you know where we, you know, come down, however, is, is that if you're starting to move past that 5% threshold and, you know, the unexpected is becoming you know, more significant in your, in your staffing arrangements, then you're far better off planning for it and adding dynamism, you know, into, you know, your model by building an internal, you know, flexible labor force, which you know, obviously we can discuss. 
And I think that, you know, the real problem that we see, you know, cutting to the chase is when companies are moving into more of a dynamic staffing environment, having more of these unexpected changes to their shift structure, but continuing to use a static staffing model. And, you know, what that really kind of like means then is that, you know, your full-time model just starts to break. And, you know, signs of this happening are, you know, ultimately many shifts may go unfilled, you know, quite often, you know, temp agency use, which again, you know, done in, in moderation can be a huge value to your organization, you know, starts to become upwards of 10, 15, 20% of, of your, your labor cost. And, and with that, you start to have, you know, in some ways a decline in continuity, you know, different people coming into work, um, you know, who perhaps aren't as familiar with the sites on a daily basis, you start to have in some ways an erosion of culture just because many of the people that are ultimately working on your front lines aren't individuals that, you know, in some ways were, you know, trained and, and nurtured by your organization. And so, you know, for us, what we're passionate about is, is companies, um, if you will, embracing, you know, a, a move into the dynamic as opposed to in some ways being broken by it. So, yeah, so we're not saying that static staffing is finished. It's not finished. It's just that there are there are now a lot more organizations and businesses that need to move away from it and aren't. And, you know, ultimately, this is going to cause problems for them. Like you said, you know, you're going to have a lot of, you know, either a higher wage bill because you're using a lot of temps, um, you know, more than you need to. Um, or you like you say, you're going to have that Culture's not there. People aren't trained. There's not continuity. And in some, you know, in some industries, continuity is really important in care, for example. You know, when you're looking after people, um, you know, those people often want to have the same person um, visit them at home or, you know, work with them on a, an ongoing basis because that's important to them rather than have a different temp. So, you know, then we start to talk about kind of quality of service and, uh, you know, that, that side of things. So, yeah, so static's not broken. I think that's really important. We don't want to say that static staffing is broken. We're not that, um, <laughs> you know, we're not that full of ourselves that we're like only dynamic staffing from here on. There, you know, there's absolutely, like you say, if the change uh, in demand or you know the amount of absence that you have is really minimal, you know, under five percent is our benchmark. Um, static staffing still works. We're not we're not arguing against that. I think what we've seen a lot more of is just instances of it just not working, but people kind of clinging on. And like anything with change, you know, if you're, if you're hanging on to the old system, it's not working. And I think actually, you know, you've talked about the impact of, of COVID and lockdown, um, you know, in a different context, but something that has become much more obvious um, is people's uh, ability and want to work more flexibly, to be available at different times to, you know, I mean, in a lot of cases it was working from home and that doesn't necessarily uh, always follow with the kind of shift work for people or people powered organizations that, that we're talking about. But it has really brought to light that, that people can work in a more uh, dynamic way, in a more flexible way, in a more fluid way and can be available at different times. And, and that, that is something that so many businesses thought would never be possible for them. And when they were forced <laughs> to make it possible for them, have realized that. So I think that's something that, that counts uh, in favor of that change and may have accelerated it in some cases, that kind of, you know, people's reluctance to switch from, oh, you have to work nine to five and you have to be available here and you have to be, you know, at this location. 
that in itself, you know, again, not necessarily in the context of the, the organisations we work with, because they're very much about people being somewhere, you know, on site in, you know, in a care environment or a healthcare environment or you know, security and things like that. But I think that general trend of organisations being forced to change and recognising that actually things did work better, um, you know, has helped generally uh, open up people's um, eyes and be more receptive to, you know, maybe thinking about different ways of staff in their organisation. Mm, no, I think you're absolutely right, you know, Lucy. I mean, in some ways, you know, flexible work is quite, you know, trendy at the moment, uh, but it means different things in, in different contexts. I mean, flexible work, you know, quite honestly, in a white-collar, you know, if you will, um, services, you know, professional services context, you know, means, you know, working from home. You know, it means quite often the workforce itself having, you know, choice over when it logs in and when it doesn't. And this is really seen as a, a key attribute in order to um, attract and retain talent. Flexible work in the context of, shall we say, frontline industries has often been flexibility to the benefit of the employer, effectively mm -hmm. having having a workforce around as and when you need them. You know, the rise of, of zero hours contracts, which on their own are not anything that, um, you know, I think we should assign particular kind of value, you know, pro or con to. But when, you know, in some ways, um, used to basically leverage the maximum amount of, you know, if you will, flexibility you know, from a worker without giving anything in return as an employer, you know, you know, it does lead to kind of unfortunate situations. So I think what we, you know, argue here at higher hand is that, um, if you prepare well, um, if, if you plan your workforce, if you take into account you know, the working hours that they so choose, if you take into account the notice that they would like, then in some ways you can have the best of both worlds ultimately where you are, you know, if you will, as a frontline employer, you know, extracting um, you know, in a positive way the, the, the type of uh, you know, labor model you need while also empowering you know, your workforce to have some say over when and where they work. Uh, but I think that, you know, in some ways, coming back to definitions, Lucy, you know, why <laughs> it's important to, to pin them down is that these terms can mean so much to so many. And ultimately with flexible work, my, my question with flexible, when someone talks about flexible work, I'm always flexible for who? <laughs> typical, typical flexibility only is a one-way street quite often in these environments. I guess what we are trying to do, you know, with our, you know, organization, with our technology is to really find a mutually beneficial way of, of, you know, engaging in what we like to call more dynamic work, just given how I think the word flexible has probably been hijacked. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, flexible working to most people means, you know, being able to do the school run and working from home or, you know, taking taking a couple of hours off in the morning if you need to um, and working around your life where, you know, like we've said, a lot of the organisations, you know, they, they don't have that choice. You know, people have to be somewhere. They have to be on a shift on site doing what they do. Um, but but still bringing that element of flexibility and you're absolutely right is allowing people to choose when they can and can't work rather than hoping they'll get the shifts that, that fit around their life. You know, that's still really important. I think um, that balance of making yourself available and being heard. I think that's simply what it is in a lot of cases is, you know, people might say that they have dynamic staffing, but we talk about zero hours contracts and, you know, people often feel that they're being held hostage by their, you know, employer just kind of waiting and hoping, am I going to get a shift this week? Like, what do I have to do to be top of the list? You know, am I going to get given all the, the times that I can or can't do? And 
And actually, that's not a smart way to work as an employer. Like you've said, you know, if you're able to offer people the work they want to do when they want to do it, you're far more likely to have them turn up for a start <laughs> and to do better work and to stay with you longer. And ultimately, you know, that saves you recruitment costs or, you know, training or whatever else is involved with that. So, you know, I think I think zero hours contracts do get bad press um, because there are some organizations that do uh, use them in a very, like you say, one way, uh, one way manner. And it's very much just about them and, and, you know, what can we do to build the most efficient and lean, uh, organization, which will involve just, you know, getting people in as and when we need them, but with no or very little consideration over the people who are on those contracts. And I think that's where there's just a huge opportunity for a very easy win, if we're honest. Um, you know, again, if you're after, if you're the sort of organization that, that, knows having better trained people, um, you know, great quality, people who actually want to be at work, who are engaged, just because people want to work flexibly, um, you know, i.e. not full time, um, doesn't mean that they don't want to come and do great work. You know, someone who wants to work one shift a week could be just as engaged as someone who wants to work, you know, five or six shifts a week. And I think that's something that, that we, um, you know, just as a kind of aside to the whole dynamic model, part of one of the pieces in our philosophy is, you know, your, your, your subs, if you like, shouldn't be the, the second class citizens that you kind of just bring in as and when you need people. There's absolutely no reason why you can't have, you know, A players who just come in to fulfill less shifts than people who might be on full time contracts. I think that's, that's a big opportunity as well in dynamic staffing is that you can have people you know, to come and fill these flexible uh, shifts, you know, these unexpected uh, demands and things like that. They don't have to be, um, you know, less engaged, less, in, you know, trained or anything. They can come in and be A players as well. They just don't work all the time. And I think that's something that there's another easy win, really, if it's taken seriously and you've got a way to to manage that and people know that it's fair. I think that's really important. So, with all that, you know, in mind, what what is a dynamic model like? Like, how do you how do you put this together? You know, it's all very well us saying, well, you know, if you've got more than five percent drops and you know, and this isn't happening, and you don't know what your demands could be, you should you should staff in a more dynamic way. Like, actually, what does that mean, and how do how do you achieve it? Yeah, no, it's 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 about being intentional. I think is what I would say say Lucy because. Maybe coming back to if you're entering into a dynamic environment where you have, you know, maybe one out of 10 shifts, shall we say, unexpected or changing at the last minute, yet are continuing to use a, um, you know, a static, you know, primarily full-time labor force. The environment that you'll be in is effectively, you know, an operations manager desperately calling around to the existing workforce, you know, begging uh, pleading for them to pick up this last minute shift that's happened. Um, the existing workforce, because they've signed up primarily for a full time set schedule, growing increasingly annoyed, or in some cases being happy to pick up a shift for overtime. But in some ways, this model wasn't what they signed up for, you know, and, and fair enough. And, and then when the internal, you know, engagement fails, you'll, you'll then turn to a, a, a temp agency, which again, you know, in moderation has huge value. But when you start to have times when, you know, temp staff 
come close to outnumbering your, your employed staff. And, and as operators, we've all been there, um, and, and, and no judgment, but, but there's just something that doesn't quite feel right, you know, when, when that's the case. That's when, you know, our encouragement to, you know, you know, potential clients or just anyone in, the, in these industries you work in is just to, just to call timeout and to take a pause. You know, you've crossed a threshold from, you know, a certain environment to another and your staffing model hasn't kept up. And so, what we suggest then is acknowledging first <laughs> something has changed. <laughs> you know, the, the existing model won't work and it's not your fault. It, it, it's fine. Um, you know, in the case of current, um, you know, environments uh, when on average 10% of your workforce is sick at some time given COVID, this is extraordinary. And the encouragement we give is just to, you know, have your staffing model reflect that. And practically what that means, you know, as you know, Lucy, you've suggested is building an internal, you know, flexible bank of staff who are expecting, who are desiring, um, and who are structurally set up, you know, with appropriate contracts and such to pick up these last minute shifts. Because as you've mentioned, Lucy, there are many people for whom, you know, actually full-time work doesn't fit with their schedules, people that have carrying responsibilities, you know, perhaps it's students, but there are people for whom, you know, if you will, more flexible work is precisely what they want. So our suggestion is be intentional, find those people, place them within your organization, and in, in some ways, um, you know, pre be prepared, you know, when the unexpected, you know, as we say, comes expected. So the real su suggestion we give is to build this dynamic labor force, effectively bringing in people, you know, and, and we can talk about how you categorize and understand how many you should have that are effectively, you know, shall you say, how you might currently engage with a temp agency, you know, but effectively having brought that in-house and the benefit that comes from that, you know, are fairly clear in terms of professionalism, you know, having the culture and training you want, critically, as Lucy mentioned, continuity, uh, you know, having people come back to the same site, you know, the familiarity that that breeds. And finally, cost, you know, in this case, by being intentional and bringing people, um, you know, into your environment in a more flexible way, you'll actually save money given the premium that temp agencies, you know, understandably have to place, you know, on an hourly wage to be able to make their own businesses work. And, you know, is there a way to to start this? How do you work this out? Is it something that you have to just go, okay, we're changing how we work from next week. Can you can you bring it in, you know, in stages? How do you work out how many people need to be in this model? Like what are the what are the kind of calculations and, and logistics of, of starting to work like this? Mm. No, no, absolutely. The first way to start populating, if you will, this internal bank or bench of, uh, you know, team members is to ask your current full time team members, is there anyone that would like to work more flexibly? And I can guarantee you or your money back <laughs> that if you have a sizable workforce, someone is going to say yes. And as a manager, you probably know this person wants that. And because you need them to fill full-time roles, I get it. You may not want to actually ask the question you know the answer to, but here's the dirty secret. If you don't ask that question, these people are going to leave mm -hmm. in the next couple you know, months, if not sooner anyway. So why not, again, be intentional, be proactive and start with your existing full-time, you know, if you will, roster and see if anyone would like to move to this more flexible, you know, bank environment. And that is how you initially start to populate. 
the next way then would actually be to recruit individuals. And, and many will be familiar and many of the, you know, you know, companies we work with in care and security will already have a banker bench of staff for whom the main selling proposition is ultimately an ability to work, you know, on a more flexible manner. Typically the, what we see the packages that work are again offering a slightly higher hourly rate. Um, again, paying for individuals who are in some ways taking a bit more of a risk by not having guaranteed hours each week. But again, a slight premium on your hourly rate is still going to be less than what you'd be paying a temp agency or the, you know, potential kind of economic challenges to your business of not filling the shift at all. So in some ways, you know, it's quite sensible to kind of in some ways, you know, acknowledge that with a little bit extra hourly rate. And, and, and then, you know, ultimately you start to actually find people for whom you know, the real asset and skill to organization is those that want to work flexibly. In terms of how to figure the number, the best way in some ways is to kind of, I would say, kind of, you know, let lived experience tell you. But ultimately, you know, the rule of thumb we have is to look at your rota or your schedule, you know, for a particular week, you know, estimate how many shifts you had dropped at the last minute. Um, and, you know, if you have 100 shifts in your schedule and there were, you know, 10 of them, um, that would be 10. Estimate how many shifts were added or subtracted at the last minute. Um, you know, given changes in demand, if that was another five or six, let's say five, let's just say six, that gives you around, you know, 16 total. And then the suggestion is to add 50% on top of that because you know, given the nature of, of, if you will, a bank staff, these people will not be available at all times at your beck and call, nor should they be. Remember, flexibility goes both ways. <laughs> this isn't just, you know, individuals that are resting on the shelf for as and when you call. They have lives as well. And so you need to have a slightly larger pool of people than you might expect to have to engage on a weekly basis just to account for the availability they have. So in this example, we suggest, you know, around 24 people. Again, you know, around 10 people for the drops, you know, around six or seven for those that you, know, you might be having fluctuating the next or 50% on top of that. And if you start working there, you'll so soon see on the basis of each week, you know, are you able to fill the shifts that you need? And critically, are the people in your bank utilized? Because also, if they're not getting work, again, because flexibility is a two-way street, they're not going to wait around that long either. So just as you know, obviously you don't want to have a bank that's too small in terms of not filling the people you want, if you have one that's too big, then ultimately you're going to have a lot of disgruntlement and ultimately they'll leave. So uh, that point you brought up just then of making sure people get enough work or, um, you know, making sure people can be available or make themselves available. And when they are available, you know, there is work uh, corresponding to that. I mean, obviously there's a, there's an element of uh, trial and error to begin with of, you know, monitoring the shifts. Obviously you can do this historically. You can look at what's happened in the past and, you know, I feel like I need to do one of those um, uh, <laughs> investment <laughs> small print things. Are the past performance doesn't always indicate future, but it you know it's likely to be pretty close. Let's be honest. Um, but how when you're making those shifts available or letting your dynamic workforce, you know this this bank that you've got together, how how does that become a fair process? Um, you know, I know that's something that we've really considered and and is part of our technology, so it might be worth explaining, but. Earlier, you talked about, you know, someone drops a shift, ops manager on the phone, ringing around, ringing around. Like you and I both know, like if that was us, we'd have a list of our favorites, for want of a better word. You know, all the people we know are more likely to accept that. For whatever reason, there's going to be some bias in there. You know, whether it's people you know, but more likely or the ones who've had a word with you and said, actually, have you got any extra shifts? I'd like them. You know, it's hard for that process not to become a little biased, um, you know, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Um, 
and so how when you're filling these dynamic shifts these these you know where demands changed or someone's become sick at the last minute in order to make sure you're not getting those disgruntled uh people who have made themselves available in this pool like how do you um go back to your first you know that level that playing field like how do you make it fair um and should you make it fair i mean i'm i'm, I'm making the assumption you should make it fair but um you know like that that to me sounds like it's a really important part of this whole process working because if those same people keep getting off of the shifts all the time and you know and other people uh, are further down the list if you like and never get a look in um well not only is that not fair to people not getting the work but actually you're then running the risk of you know some people getting too many shifts and and possibly you know taking on too much work that that wasn't the intention of having the flexible bank in the first place. You know, if they're doing twice as much work as full-time people, there might, you know, again, the quality might go down. That might uh, bring other sorts of issues with it as well. So that, you know, for me, I see there's lots of reasons why you'd want to make that, that process really fair. Like how in practice, you know, can you achieve that as a, as a business, as an organization? Hmm. I mean, the first thing I would say is, is that I am in awe Almost um, every time when I speak to a kind of a control room manager or a kind of ops manager for the number of different factors they're able to keep in mind in their head when ultimately <laughs> trying to you know handle crises, you know, fill those last minute shifts, the ability to know people's likely availability, their preferences, the type of way to engage them, ultimately to get them to you know fill that shift, which is in some ways the aim of of uh of the control manager i mean it really is remarkable and, and it almost brings to mind like you know a famous chess master like you know gary kasparov you know and and you know thinking the moves 10 ahead you know ultimately to get you know jonathan or to get uh you know jenny to to take this this last minute shift they need but just as you know deep blue was able to beat gary kasparov there is a time and ultimately a, a just a matter of scale when you know, just, I would say when you get beyond probably like 20 or 30 people, or frankly, when you have that control manager move on as they're, they're apt to do and take that, that remarkable knowledge with them, when you actually need to have a more formalized system to kind of distribute shifts at a last minute. And that's not even to mention, Lucy, as you mentioned, you know, you know, bias, which, um, you know, I, you know, I come from the view that there's bias no matter how hard you try. But, you know, I, I do think ultimately if you're, you're basing the distribution of these shifts on factors like how many hours the individual said they've wanted on, you know, past performance, you know, such as, you know, you know, ratings, you know, on ultimately, um, just, you know, availability. Are they around? Respecting the fact if someone says they're not around, we shouldn't, you know, call them, you know, even if we want to beg and take them away from that, that daughter's birthday, you know, event that they've said they've wanted to go to for weeks. And this is the one time not to call. Um, Again, we've all made those calls as operators, but in some ways, I, I, I do think, you know, what, what, you know, in some ways technology, again, when, when, when used well and, and within limits does is, is remove some of the, you know, if you will, and I'll use the word coercion in, in the kind of, you know, in some ways, you know, even if it's done towards a good end, you know, that, you know, the kind of, oh, come on, just help me out this once, you know, that, that I think we, we all rely on every once in a while, but when it becomes repeated, yeah. I do think that's not actually the kind of flexible, uh, work environment that many people in a bank or many people that are all on call necessarily signed up for. 
So, you know, and, and you know, obviously. The emotional blackmail, the, you mean. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which as, as a parent, I'm, I'm getting much better at. Um, but, 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 you know, that's not necessarily how we want to be running a, it's not a healthy way a more, to, uh, yeah, we should be running a more professional, professional control room here. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's obviously kind of a kicker here where, you know, you know, higher hand clearly has a technology solution that is you know, solving this. So, you know, I, I think but we, it's we would point in this direction. To understand why it has that technology solution, you know, like it's a lot easier for, um, you know, artificial intelligence to not <laughs> bring into that work. Like we're assuming it hasn't got emotions yet, but, you know, that remains to be seen. But, you know, it doesn't have the emotion, so it can't emotionally blackmail anyone. It doesn't have the bias built in because it'll be working things on algorithms, not on, you know, personal preferences or who happened to pop into your head and all those kind of things. So, you know, I know we're joking about it, but, you know, until, uh, you know, the artificial intelligence does have these factors in it. And, and again, you'd like to think we wouldn't include them in the programming, but <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. Um, I mean, I mean yeah, I mean, I, absolutely, Lucy. I mean, I mean, in many ways, tech degrades human interaction. Like, you know, I would much rather be in a room with you right now, you know, with, with two microphones than doing this over Zoom. Mm. But in some contexts, I think that's to its benefit. Because ultimately what's happening when you as an, you know, a control manager are, you know, picking up the phone and calling people is you're trying to use the power of persuasion with your voice and with, you know, any other kind of tools at hand, <laughs> such as adding extra, um, you know, kind of like incentives and, you know, by all means offer, you know, kind of time and a half, you know, these are the things that, you know, you, you should be doing. But at the end of the day, you're, you're trying to compel someone to do something and saying no, especially to a employer, even if you've been on a flexible contract is tough. Uh, it's not easy because you think about how this is going to affect future opportunities. Like if you help me out this time, I'll hook you up the next time. I mean, let's be honest. This is how the working world works. Of course. Whereas with technology, you know, if it's ultimately distributed via, you know, an app or via text and it's just a simple answer, yes or no, and you understand that the answer of the no is not going to be held against you as long mm. as it's done in a kind of timely and, you know, you know, in an honest manner, then you actually start to have a much more equitable, in some ways, exchange, you know, between uh, you know, people who distribute jobs and people that take them. And I think in the short term, you as the kind of operator may, you know, feel frustrated if you have to, you know, in some ways wait a bit longer to fill that shift. But again, if you actually lean on people too hard, you know, compel them, coerce them, even with the kind of, you know, kindest of ways to take work they don't want, they'll leave. And so yeah. it's not necessarily, you know, a, a kind of mystery why in many of the sectors that we're targeting, you know, turnover is, is, you know, can be up to every kind of three or four months people moving on. And like, I think some people, and fair enough, if you're in the industries, you know, it, it's difficult, you know, can consider that again, to use a tech phrase, a feature, you know, not a bug. But if you start kind of extrapolating out why it is the fact that many people in these industries, um, you know, do leave certainly kind of like, you know, pay and, and, you know, certain aspects will just be slightly endemic in this. But oh, I have to believe this because how we set up our business, the way in which you ultimately treat, engage and offer work, not just the kind of, mm -hmm. you know, if you will, the kind of um, the, the headline itself. stickers, yeah. like the work itself. It actually matters. And that's what we spend a lot of time thinking about. And I think I think that's the key. And also, I think what's really important here is <clears throat> if you are using technology to level the playing field, to make things fair, to take away any bias, like. And that is also explained to your workforce. Um, they're okay about saying yes and no to it as well, because that, that, that from the outset shows that you've set, set this up to be fair. And so even, even in the telling of it, 
it communicates an, an enormous amount to people who would be in your workforce in that flexible pool to just say, here's how we operate. You know, it's not down to how chummy can you get with your, you know, your line manager or the ops manager. It's, you know, we have this process. This is how it's done. You know, you're able to tell us when you are and aren't available. And the system will actually learn, you know, when you're more likely to say yes. So you'll get more of those and less of these. And, and you know, you can change that at the last minute. If suddenly, you know, what you plan for the weekend has been cancelled and you are available, you can change your availability. You haven't got to, you know, call anyone or do anything. And I think even in the explaining of that up front and even in the recruitment process, I think you're more likely to get people who, you know, if they have moved on, like you said, you know, they, they've been through this before and they're like, well, I'm never going to get the good shifts or, you know, I'm never going to get any shifts or or whatever their their reasons for moving on are. Um, even being told that at the outset, I think is really powerful as an employer. If you want to hire great people, you know, people will value you for that. And and like, so from day one, even before they've got a shift, knowing that there is a fair way of distributing this make, makes people more likely to want to be part of this flexible work pool and, you know, be part of that bank and it, and it be something that, that works. I think that's a signal in itself that you have, uh, I mean, you know, not even to go into the kind of practicalities of as a business owner, you haven't got to rely on that, ops, you know, ops manager having everything in their head. You know, uh, if they're off sick that day, um, you know, all that knowledge has gone with them. Um, you know, obviously there's real benefits to that being available in a system, you know, in some software. But but just, you know, it, that that communicating thing, I think this is what's really important to us as well, is that dynamic staffing um isn't just something that's of benefit to an organization or a business owner. It's of huge benefit to people who want to work that way, but are looking to feel valued for wanting to work that way. I think that's really key. I think that's what's been missing a lot. You know, like, you know, again, you know, the whole zero hours contracts. I mean, I don't think I've read a headline of anything with the word zero hours contract in it. And then it's been a positive story, you know, but, but that's yeah. But there is a lot of people who who are wanting to work that way, who can't make themselves available at the same time for the same shifts every week, and that that just doesn't work for them and their life. Um, but that shouldn't exclude them from doing some um, you know some meaningful work, some work they want to do, uh, really contributing. And it shouldn't exclude people from you know hiring them in the first place. So you know, so so, so just to recap for us, Scott. So Static versus dynamic. Um, static's not broken, but, uh, it, you know, there are a lot of organizations who need to move on to a more dynamic model. Like what's what's the kind of parting message you would like to, you know, uh, to say about that? Like, you know, how how is anyone going to know if they're listening to this? You know, am I fine to stick with static staffing? Um, should I move to dynamic staffing? Obviously, if they want to move, then there's, you know, a, a series of, of, of questions and processes to go through. But like, what's the kind of litmus test? What can they, you know, what do they need to think about right now that's going to tell them yes or no? And then what to think about? In, in terms of whether um, you, you need to be adopting a dynamic staffing model or whether you know, sticking with static, you know, will work for you. I mean, there's probably a, a couple ways to determine that. You know, you know, one I think is you know quantitative, just the numbers. I, I do think again, looking at your 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 shifts and, and seeing if a, a large proportion, and for us that is approaching you know 10, but certainly above five percent, 
are, you know, in some ways changing unexpectedly. That's just, you know, it literally is an easy way to understand. But many people don't look at their kind of, you know, schedules like that and, and fair enough. The other two ways I would look at it are if you're starting to feel like you're spending an extraordinary amount of money on temp agencies, <laughs> as much as I love them, again, in moderation, great. That is also a sign. That's like a, you know, if you will, a uh, you know, that's, you know, if you will, a, uh, a red really, flag, a red flag that's, that's, <laughs> that's happening. And then maybe on a more emotional level, if you feel like you're consistently putting a few full-time team members in positions where they're having to pick up a lot of shifts or carry an unreasonable burden for your daily operations, and, and, and you'll know if this is the case. It's also probably a sign you're leaning a bit too much on individuals who in the short term may pick up the load, but in the long term, you may ultimately be kind of leading them to leave the organization. And, and so I guess, you know, our push is really just to be intentional because what strikes me is some of the fantastic organizations we work with, they, they, they ultimately know and are known for treating their full-time team members really well. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that the same can't be said and they'll acknowledge this to the extent if they've had a nascent bank or a kind of flexible labor force built. And it's, again, because they're stuck in a static mindset and kind of halfway to embracing a dynamic model. If you embrace a dynamic model, if you expect the unexpected, then you start to see your bank as a real asset, as, you know, in some ways an enabler of a new way of working. And if you see it like that, as opposed to a necessary evil or a slight cost-saving measure on those temps, then you'll actually invest time. You'll actually put the effort in that you would with your full-time team that you're already doing and really in some ways both have it become the valuable resource it can be for your organization, but also just extend the culture and the values of your organization to those people and treat them with the respect that that you do elsewhere. So for us, it's really about being intentional with leaning into this. And obviously, you know, we have technology to support this, but, you know, it's not a requisite. You know, in some ways, what's requisite is you actually appreciating that we are in a dynamic environment and dedicating the time and resource, which, again, amidst everyone being busy with their hair on fire, I know is probably the most valuable resource you have, but actually putting the work in. And I guess, you know, my experience, you know, for over a decade of working with organizations to staff more flexibility is that you'll get a lot out of it if you do it. It's worth it. Um, so that's our parting message, uh, at least from my end, Lucy. Fantastic. Well, I'm quite happy to leave it there. I think, you know, it, it's something that if you know that the signs are there, don't ignore them. And actually, as with anything, take it as an opportunity to improve um, things, both for your organization and for the people that work for you. So I think we've covered quite a lot today. I'm very, uh, very happy with that conversation. I think we've really, you know, explained our philosophy behind uh, static and dynamic staffing and hopefully um, have caused a few people listening to think, right, uh, we need to go and, and look at those numbers or just you know, look into our, how our workforce are behaving and what that means. So thank you, uh, Scott, even though you're here every episode as co-host, but thank you today for being in the, uh, the hot seat, uh, as it were, to be interviewed and ask those questions. And uh, I look forward to all the other conversations we'll be having with other people in terms of what they're doing um, with their workforce and how they're engaging in their own organisations. Great. Thank you, Lucy. Now you know when and where dynamic staffing works best. You can also use the calculations shared to work out if this is right for your organization. You can cut down your reliance on emotional blackmail, only joking, but at least know that planning for the unexpected is a smart thing to do. We talked about how to be intentional about building a flexible workforce, 
There's more information, a calculator, guides, and other resources on the higherhand.co.uk website if this is something you want to take further. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn or contact us directly if you'd like to have a conversation. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Shifts Happen podcast. There's more episodes where this came from with more conversations about making people-powered work work better. If you'd like to ask us questions or have suggestions or would like to hear a feature in a future episode, do drop us a line. Or if you think dynamic staffing is something you'd like to explore for your own organization, we're always excited to have the conversation. Find out more and get in touch on the higherhand.co.uk website or find us both, Lucy Whittington and Scott Irwin, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.